have no hold on me Every chain is broken Hide the name of Jesus to live, praying for people who are facing insurmountable obstacles in their life. It's not a formality. It's not just something we have on the program. We do that because I can think of at least three instances last year when cancer was healed in this room right here. We're not wasting our time. We know what God can do. We've experienced the power of God. Not to mention the countless impossibilities where God came through and made a way last year. We are still 
getting testimonies from our Miracle Sunday, which was really only the span of about an hour where we went through and prayed for people who believed God for a miracle. You know who didn't get a miracle that day? The skeptics. The I got to figure it all outers. I got to have all the answers. I got to have all the facts. I got to know how God done it. They went home without a miracle. You know who got a miracle? I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it. But I know he's going to do it. Can you be one of those today? Can you be one of those that approach God with faith? Bible says I weird to God that men would lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting the reason he states that is because a man typically has to have all of the answers wants to know how it's done how the parts and pieces fit how God did it exactly and so because they rely on human understanding reasoning they often struggle with miracles don't be one of those today <laughs> God, I don't need an explanation. I don't need a how you did it. I'm just trusting you that you can. We are so glad to see you here today on this January the 7th of 2024. Amen. Some of you I haven't seen in a while, and I'm glad that you're here. I understand that you've made up your mind. I'm going to start going back to church more often. I need to be in church, and I'm thankful for that. You're right about that. But going to church is like physical fitness. It's great that you went to the gym in January. But you're only going to see a difference if you keep going to the gym. And what's more important than the fitness and the condition of your soul? The only eternal part of you. All of that muscle and tissue and sinew that you're working on in the gym. You're just fighting time. I encourage you to do it. Be as healthy as you can. But Father, time will catch up to you. But when you come to church, you are working on the eternal part of you. The part of you that will never die. That will spend eternity somewhere. Moral of the story, glad you're here. I want to see you next Sunday too. I want to see you next Sunday. Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. For if thou, someone say if, that means there is a decision to be made. It's a crossroads. If, someone say it one more time, if, thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there 
enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows? Not who knows what the will of God is. I can tell you deliverance and revival is God's plan. Who knows if you're going to respond? Who knows if you will rise to meet the challenge? Who knows if 2024 will be the year that you break through spiritually? It's up to you. God is waiting on you. God says, I'm here if you are. I want to start today a series over the next several weeks that we're going to launch our new year into. It will be the theme for our church. It will be our sole focus. It will be what we reference throughout the year. What I believe that God wants our church channeled and focused on and looking to. And that is this. For such a time as this. For such a time as this. We live in a unique time. It's not like any other time in history. We live in a very special, unique time, unique challenges. But with those unique challenges come two things, unique responsibility and unique opportunity. How we respond to this will determine whether we can say 2024 was a year of revival, personal growth, enlargement, things I've been praying for for a long time. I, I hit a spiritual growth spurt. How many parents out there remember when your kid woke up one day and they're this tall? 24 hours later, nothing in the house fits them. Right? What happened? It was a growth spurt. It was almost overnight. Did you know you can have a spiritual growth spurt? where you can grow more in a 12-month span than you may have grown in the previous 12 years because you made up in your mind this is a unique time. This is a unique place. God is calling me. I feel Him drawing me. I feel Him speaking to me. You being in church today lets me know God has been talking to you. You sitting on these pews this morning lets me know and is a confirmation that God is drawing you today. The Bible says, no man coming to the Father unless the Spirit draw. You are being drawn today. Let's pray together. God, thank you for having the trust in us to place us in this place for such a time as this. I pray for every heart that is in this room today to receive your word, to walk out of here, God, beginning a journey where they would grow God, they would begin to advance. They would take spiritual territory, Lord, that may have been repossessed by the devil, God, that's been taken from them. May they, may they gain it back. May they repossess it again. In the name of Jesus. And everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Normally at the beginning of the year, I will lay out a few critical things, important things, things of note that we're going to be doing as a church, but I'm going to delay that for a couple of weeks because I 
Rather than want to talk about what's on the calendar for the coming year, I want to reveal today what I believe the will of God for this church is in the Spirit. We are directed to an often overlooked part of the Bible, although this particular passage we read this morning is commonly used and referred to, and you've probably heard this verse. But the context and the story revolving around this conversation that we read is extremely important. The book of Esther is the story of a young Jewish slave girl who would save the entire nation of Israel from complete genocide. This book that is tucked in between the great prophet Nehemiah and the inspiring book of Job, we find the story of a hero in ten short chapters. And over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to go through this story that took place around 484 B.C. And yet, I believe it is a clear picture of where we are as a church in 2024 A.D. Because the Word of God is timeless. And no matter where you're at, I promise you in what place in time the Word of God has a message for you. And the Word of God can give you direction. And what it took to bring deliverance in 484 B.C. to the people of God is the same Principles God is calling us, me and you, to demonstrate in 2024. It's been stated many times that the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible where God is not mentioned. However, like many of the other great mysteries of God, when you delve a bit deeper, you will see His fingerprints upon every transpiring event in these 10 chapters. So walk with me for just a few minutes this morning. Stay attuned as we lay out the context for this incredible time and this incredible conversation that we read in our text today. The curtains open on somewhat of an unsavory character called King Ashorius. King is throwing a grand feast. Grangosaurus is essentially there at this feast as a king, and he's trying to flex to all those that are around him. He's trying to show them his kingdom. He's trying to show those in his circle how rich and how powerful he is. And so he throws a big old feast and invites everyone to come out. It's like when you buy a new house and you have that big party, you want all your family members and friends to come over. That's what he was doing, yet on a much larger scale. And so as this feast was in full swing and the wine was flowing, the queen at the same time, Queen Vashti, was holding a simultaneous party in another part of the palace. And all of the women in that circle and her friends, they were having a, a party at the same time that the king was throwing his party. And really all you need to know about this party is what happens next and it is stated in verse 10 of chapter 1 when it says on the seventh day when the king was merry with wine that's all you need to know about that party right there seven straight days of drinking and eating and so what happens next should not be a surprise 
After seven days, they were still drinking and feasting. And the king, clearly three sheets in the wind by this point, thinks it's a good idea. Let me just tell you, there's never any good ideas after seven days of drinking. (laughs) But he thinks it's a good idea to order his queen, not ask her. That's never a good idea either, gentlemen. To order his queen, it tells you how difficult it was. It took him seven days of drinking just to build the courage up to do it. He ordered his queen to appear before all of his buddies as if to show her off too. And although the Bible doesn't explicitly say, most commentators will tell you that he ordered her to appear before all of his friends in little to nothing. He wanted to parade her around in open humiliation to further demonstrate his power and his control over everybody, including the queen. Now, it was here where the the queen drew the line, and you really can't blame her. She said, I don't think so. You can go back and tell the king that ain't happening. She refused to come and appear before the king and all of his men in the way that he desired. Well, as you might imagine, the king, with all of his power and pomp and prestige and, let's be honest, ego, it so angered him that he commanded that she be removed from her place of royalty and that he would never see her face again. Tradition states, although not written here, that she was later executed. After the disposal of Queen Vashti, the king is in search of a new queen. And a great gathering of prospective maidens were brought together based upon their beauty. Now let me be clear. It wasn't like there was probably a long line of people necessarily wanting this job considering what just happened to the previous queen. But let me be clear, it was not a choice. When you were told to appear before the king, you didn't get to say, no, I don't think so, as evidenced by Queen Vashti. And so you were selected to appear before the king king to potentially become the next queen it was a commandment not a request and here in this gathering of beautiful maidens we discover the main character of our series Esther a young lady whose father and mother were dead an orphan girl a young orphan Jewish girl now being raised by her uncle Mordecai And yet here, here she is, unbeknownst to those bringing the maidens to this king, this girl was Jewish. Her Hebrew name was Hadessa. However, if she had gone by that name, her identity would have been instantly revealed. So it is thought that her uncle thought it would be a good idea to give her the Persian name Esther, which meant star. Mordecai may have felt like this was the best chance that she had to live a comfortable and safe life. Not to mention there wasn't a whole lot of choice given. And here we find 
in the second chapter, verse 17, what can only be described as divine providence when you think about the thousands of maidens that were brought before the king. Verse 17, now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now I want you to think about this. Here is an orphan girl. Father and mother dead. She's Jewish. She should not be eligible. And yet thousands of maidens have appeared before the king. And by God's divine providence, she is selected to be queen. God has seen fit that a young orphan, somewhat disguised Jewish girl, Esther, to become queen of all the land. Meanwhile, her uncle, Mordecai, apparently worked for the king sitting at one of his gates. And as he's sitting at one of the gates one day, he happened to overhear a plot to assassinate the king. It's always good to be a good listener. Right? My grandpa used to say, there's a reason why you got two ears and one mouth. You should listen twice as much as you talk. Mordecai apparently was a good listener. He's at work one day and he hears two guys talking about they want to kill the king. They're plotting and they're planning to assassinate the king. Well, it just so happens, although nobody knows it, Mordecai has a connection directly to the king because his niece is now the queen. So, he tells his niece, hey, you might want to tell your husband, that there are, there's these two guys that's trying to plot to kill him. The queen goes to the king and says, I don't know who this guy is necessarily, but this guy Mordecai. He's telling me there's an assassination plot. And when it was discovered that it was true, these guys actually were trying to kill the king. As you might imagine, these two men were hanged and it was recorded in the king's book. And here... The final main character makes his appearance. A man that had the king's ear. He was a man that had been elevated by the king to a prominent position in the kingdom with much authority and much power, and his name was Haman. So you've got this young Jewish girl who's now queen. You've got her uncle who is now in somewhat a place of favor because he ratted out two guys trying to kill the king. And then we find out there's this guy working for the king who is somewhat powerful by the name of Haman. Now, nobody loved Haman like Haman. You know somebody like that? Yeah, I work for him. <laughs> nobody loves my boss like my boss. Haman loved Haman. Now, this was a guy who strutted around with his chest poked out, reminding everyone what a big shot he was. A little man with a big ego. So much so that everyone around him would bow down and reverence him when he would come around. That, that's all you need to know right there. That is, everyone except Mordecai. Esther chapter 3 and verse 2 says, And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. 
For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Now, here is our first example of God placing someone in a position at an appointed time to give them an opportunity to step up and make the right decision. Here was an opportunity for Mordecai to go forward with the hard right and not the easy wrong. Here God placed Mordecai at the crossroads of time and it would be up to him to respond in that exact moment in time that God had strategically placed in him to respond biblically and not culturally. And today, I believe that we as a church in 2024 are given an opportunity to respond in a way that is in alignment with God's Word and may not be in alignment with what's happening in our culture, in our world, and in our society. We are at a prominent crossroads and at a strategic position to find out, hey, are you going to respond in a way that is in alignment with the Word of God? Are you going to flow downstream and do what the world is doing? Do what society is doing? Do what culture is doing? I challenge someone here today to make up in their mind in this year, I don't care what the world is doing. I don't care what culture is doing. I don't care what my family members are doing. I don't care what they're doing on the job. I don't care what Hollywood is doing. I'm going to live this year in a way that pleases God. Culturally, that was the norm. That's what everyone else did. You were to bow down to this Haman. It's what was expected. It's what everybody else was doing. And yet, Without a doubt, Mordecai knew these ancient words that were found in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, or serve them. And in that moment, as Haman approached Mordecai, he knew in that instant, I'm either going to respond biblically, or I'm going to respond culturally. The heat was on, the temptation was there, the repercussions were high. The consequences could be bad. But Haman made up in the mind. Let me tell you something. I don't bow down to anybody but God. I don't worship anybody but the one true God. Can I tell you, there's going to be times in the coming year when you're going to be under the magnifying glass. 
There's going to be times in the coming year when you're going to feel the heat of pressure upon you. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's going that direction. Everybody's letting that happen. Everybody's participating in that. And you are going to be like Mordecai in that instant where I'm either going to respond in a biblical fashion or I'm going to wilt. I'm going to bow. I'm going to compromise to what's going on in our world. I pray today that there's somebody that's come to church and they've made up in their mind, Pastor, in the coming year, I don't care what the rest of the world is doing. I don't care what my friends are doing. I don't care what my co-workers are doing. I'm going to serve God. Did he know the danger? Most certainly. Was he aware that this decision might put his very life at stake without a doubt? But for him, listen to me well, but for him, dying biblically was more important than living culturally. And you got to make the same decision. Am I going to die out to God? Am I going to, and I don't mean physically. I pray to God it never comes to that, but it may. I'll tell you this much. If you can't die out spiritually to God, meaning I ain't going to do what I want to do. I want to do what God wants me to do. I'm laying down my desires and my ambitions. If you can't do that spiritually, don't fool yourself into believing that one day you could die physically for him. Don't, don't fool yourself into believing that one day you might stand before the authorities and they say either renounce your faith in Jesus Christ or we're going to take your life. Don't fool yourself into believing that you say I'll lay my life down when you cannot die spiritually. I want to challenge someone today. Make up in your mind right now who you're going to serve. Make up in your mind who's going to get your attention in 2024. Make up in your mind right now who's going to sit on the throne of your life in the coming year. Everybody, and I want you to repeat this after me because it's so very important. Everybody, say that, only has one throne. You make up your mind who sits on that throne. Your job, your acceptance in society, your friends, your career, your pleasure, what you want to do, your desires, are you going to place God on that throne? throne and let him be the determining factor in the decisions of your life it's a time that God is challenging you it's a moment where God is giving you the opportunity to do what is right and so Mordecai said I don't bow to anybody but God do not think for an instant that he didn't understand what was going on Mordecai was right where God wanted him in that exact moment. And yet it was his decision that would ultimately start the revolution that would result in the deliverance of an entire nation. Although not bound by man's time, Scripture clearly teaches us that God works masterfully within the timing of man. Sequences, scenarios, situations that will occur at the perfect time that you may think, well, that's just, that's just weird. Well, that's just a coincidence. Not at all. They occur at the perfect time ordered by God to bring about His purpose and His plan. 
Do not think for an instant that you are a mere speck on the landscape of time and that you are somehow sitting here on January the 7th, 2024 by pure coincidence or a chance of fate. You are playing right into the hands of the devil. You believe that. Well, I wasn't even supposed to be here. That shows how much of that preacher knows. I wasn't even planning on being here. You may have fooled me, but you didn't fool God. He knew you would be here. He knows you are here right now. He knows everything about you. And for you to sit here and say, well, it's just an accident or it's a coincidence. I'm telling you, you were brought to this church on this Sunday to hear this sermon for such a time as this. A divinely appointed moment where God would give you the opportunity to change your life to change your family's life, to change your destiny and your future. Not an accident. It's divine appointment. God set this appointment long before you even knew about it. Because He knows everything about you. Do you know the average person has over 100,000 hairs on their head? Now, not everybody is as blessed. And with each passing day, I'm, my blessings are receding. But the average person has over 100,000 hairs on their head. Them girls that run around my house, my daughters, I think they lose that much every day. And the average person loses anywhere between 50 and 100 a day. Which is a little bit gross if you think about it. But did you know... That with over 100,000 hairs on your head and the average person losing between 50 and 100 every day, that God in this very instant could tell every single person in this room exactly how many hairs are on your head right now. Right now. He knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. And you want to tell me that you're in church by accident today? And you want to convince yourself that you just stumbled in here and that there's no plan, there's no rhythm, there's no purpose of what God is doing, that God is not orchestrating something? I want to tell you, God is ordering your steps. God is divinely pulling you and calling you and giving you an opportunity for such a time as this. Psalms 139, you have searched me, Lord. <laughs> you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You know what he's saying? Before I even say it, you know it. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He knows where you're at right now. For such a time as this. For such a moment as this. I was in my office at my house and I was praying and asking God to, to lead me. I believe this is such an important service. Because I, I do believe in divine appointments. And I, I'm, I'm leaned over my desk and I'm praying and I'm literally, 
uh, writing some of my sermon out and just asking God for direction. I say, God, how, how do I know that this is the, the time? How do I know this is what you want me to say? God, why do you emphasize the time so much right now? What is it that's going on, God? Can you somehow give me a confirmation? Give me something to let me know that, this, that for such a time as this is what you want me to emphasize to the church. And that time is running out. This is an opportunity and the time is so critical. God, what is it? Now, for a lot of people, they'll laugh this off, but I've been living for God far too long to do that. And so am I, I am bent over my desk and I am praying that exact prayer in that moment. And I hear something on the second floor of my house. I'm like, what is that? And in all honesty, it was annoying me. Here I am, deep in the spirit. <laughs> Here I am trying to get the mind of God. And it's just something going on on the other side of that. I said, what is that? So I get up out of my office and I walk into my second floor and I'm listening around and I hear something on the second floor. I'm like, what in the world? And it was just on and on and on and on. Some kind of ring, some kind of sound. I'm like, it'll quit in a minute. Nope, just kept going. Finally, I said, all right, I got to find out what this is. So I get up and I walk around. I get up on the second floor and I see this plastic bag that I have put some of Zane's toys in several days ago. They've been in this, this bag for days. Just stuffed them in there, just... And uh, it was like, I don't know, it was 11.15 or something in, in the morning. And, uh, and inside this bag, I heard this noise. And I'm a little annoyed now, and I've done forgot about me talking to God, to be honest with you. I'm probably not in the spirit right now. <laughs> so I'm tearing through this bag, trying to, what in the world is this? I'm good night. I'm just, I thought it was some game, you know, and I'm moving it around. It's still going, wang, 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 good Lord. And I finally, I dig way down to the bottom of this bag and I grab a hold of this alarm clock and I pull it out and it's sounding the alarm right then. Now, a lot of people will say, well, that's a coincidence. Big deal, you were praying that right then and the alarm went off. Honey, I may be not that bright, but I've been living for God far too long to believe that was a coincidence. I knew in that moment that God was saying, hey boy, I absolutely want you to remind these people that time is running out. I absolutely want you to stand before my people and let them know that there is a divine time that God has appointed for this church, for the people who are in this church. He is calling you to respond in a way you may not have responded before. To tell yourself and believe that God doesn't know exactly where you are at and not believe that you are in the grand scheme of God's plan. To believe that He doesn't orchestrate your life's events and the timing of your life. I can't say it any other way. It's the height of ignorance. I don't care how many degrees you got hanging on the wall. I don't care what training you've had, what your IQ is. If you believe that you're just flopping around out there and that God hasn't divinely appointed your steps 
to bring you here right now is the height of ignorance because I serve a God that knows everything about you. He orders your steps. He wakes you up. He's there every moment of the day. He's heard every prayer. He saw every tear. And he has led you here in this moment for such a time as this. He most certainly placed you here in this window of time at this exact moment uh, to give you an opportunity uh, to transform the course uh, of your life uh, and the life of those uh, around you. Church, I want to preach to you collectively for a moment. I'm telling you, God could have placed you and us as a church in any landscape of time, in any era, any century, any moment in time. But he chose to put you here with me, with us, together for such a time as this. And if we overlook that, and we don't recognize that, and if we don't capitalize on that, we cannot have the revival that God desires and he has destined for this church to have. We got to understand time is running out. This is not an accident. This is not a coincidence. God is calling this church for such a time as this. He's giving you, he's giving us a chance to choose our own path to leave the cultural norms, to leave the cultural standards, to forsake what is easy, to walk away from what requires the least amount of energy, to say no to what will result in the least amount of resistance, to refuse to live culturally and make up in our mind to live biblically. There was another path laid out to be biblically aligned in your life. The question is, will you grant your love and attention and allegiance to the things found within the covers of this great book? (laughs) Or are you still going to let Hollywood control your time and your destiny and your future and your allegiance? Will you allow the possible repercussions and consequences of living biblically change your course? Or will you say, regardless of what is said about me, regardless of what is done to me, Regardless of what it costs me, I have been placed here for such a time as this to show my family, to show my world what a difference a church can make when they sell out to Jesus Christ. What a difference one person can make when they take away every plan B, every backdoor opportunity and say, God, I'm going one direction. I'm doing one thing. I'm selling completely out to you and your plan in my life life what could happen in that person we live in a culture that's headed the wrong way we all see that Paul was describing our day when he wrote to Timothy and he said it's not a pretty picture if you really want to live for God you can only do it by living counterculture counterculture is a sociological term used to describe the values of a group that run counter to those of the social mainstream. Counterculture describes a group or an individual whose behavior deviates from the societal norms. 
Our problem in the first part of the 21st century is that we don't only have to oppose secular culture. We're all for that. But sadly, we have to oppose much of what is called Christian culture. Because let's be honest, there's not a lot of difference in secular culture and Christian culture anymore. There used to be a big difference in secular culture, what the world was doing and what the church was doing. But just being honest today, I don't see a big difference in what Christians are doing and what everybody else is doing. And so we have to make up in our mind, are we going to live biblically or are we going to live culturally? Are we going to do what everybody else is doing? Or are we going to draw the line and say, I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to be participating in that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get involved in that. I know that people that call themselves Christians are doing that. I'm not judging them, but I'm telling you, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I can't control what the world is doing, but I'm making up my mind. I'm selling out to Jesus. A Gallup poll recently declared that 94% of Americans believe in God. If you looked at our world today, would you believe that? They obviously don't believe in a God in the biblical sense of the word. And I would say that most American Christians don't believe biblically either. James 2 and 19 verse 20 through 20 says, Thou believest that there is one God, and thou doest well. Don't pat yourself on the back because the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Demons believe in God enough to tremble. And yet many so-called Christians believe in God, but they don't fear, respect, or obey His Word. They want just enough of God to keep them out of hell. Just enough God to get them into heaven, but certainly not enough of God for them to affect any way of their life. They don't want to change any real area of their life, something that might cost them, something that may hurt them, something they like to do, but they don't get to do anymore because it's against the Word of God. They don't want enough of God to do that. And so they have what I like to call cafeteria Christianity. How many has been to KNS Cafeteria? I love that place. McAllister's. I love McAllister's cafeteria. And in K&S or McAllister's, you get to walk through that line and you got those people back there serving the food. And Christianity has gotten like that. You got the pastors behind this glass here. And they'll say, they'll come through the line, you'll say, you know what? I'll have some meatloaf, but I don't want no pot roast. I'll take some corn, but I don't want no spinach. In fact, if you like my kids when they were young, they just passed that whole area. And they said, I'll take five rolls and a piece of pecan pie right there. And Brother Ethan, unfortunately, the world that we live in, that's the way most people serve God and that's their religion. It's cafeteria Christianity. I don't want none of that hard stuff. I don't want any of that hard preaching. I don't want any difficult decisions. I don't want to have to stop doing something I like to do. I don't want to have to lose friends because of the way I'm serving God. I don't want to have to have difficult conversations because of something I'm not participating anymore. I'll take blessings. I'll take 
miracles. I'll take some good feeling. I'll take some goosebumps. I'll take a little joy. I'll take a little peace. And let's call it a day. Honey, let me tell you something. For such a time as this, God is calling a church to say, I want God. I want all of God. I want his word. I want every dot, every, every dot, every, every word that's in this Bible. I want to obey it. And so it's important that we decide to live biblically and not culturally. You know, you can diagnose people who are living culturally, even Christians, Christians, who are living culturally and not biblically. You know why? Here's what they do. They crave acceptance from people rather than God. People that are living culturally, even Christian culturally, they do just enough in church to alleviate their guilt. I want to walk out feeling better about myself, but I don't want to really change. I want to walk out feeling better that I went to church today, and I hope you do. But we are not here just to sedate you. We're not here just to soothe you and pat you on the rear until you go to sleep. That's not doing you or anybody else a favor. What we're wanting you to do is say, I'm going to make some changes in my life. I'm going to make some real hard decisions in my life that's going to affect my destiny and affect those that I influence and affect those around me. Cultural Christians gauge their spirituality by comparing themselves to others. Well, at least I'm not that bad. I mean, everybody's got that crazy family member who's drunk all the time. And you're like, well, at least I ain't that bad. That's what cultural Christians do. Rather than comparing themselves to the Word of God. And they say, you know what? I'm praying for them. I'm going to love them, but I'm also going to lead them. And I'm not comparing myself to anybody else. I'm comparing myself to where God wants me to be. And I want to say to you that are faithful Christians and you hear all the time and you would consider yourself living and serving for God are you where you are last year are you in the same place are you in the same position are you at the same growth place that you were with God can I tell you God is calling you to grow up as well God is calling you to mature and to expand your territory as well you don't ever get to a place where you retire we don't ever get to a place where we kick our heels up and say, I've arrived. Look how holy I am. Look how righteous I am. Look how spiritual I am. Nobody gets to that point. We've got to constantly be growing in God. Cultural Christians rarely witness about the Lord to others. They only give when it doesn't hurt their standard of living. They want benefits of serving God, but no responsibilities. I want to come to church, but I don't want to do anything. Come on, somebody. How are we going to reach the world if everybody has that mentality? How are we going to get people to heaven if everybody just comes to church and say, I want benefits, but I don't want responsibilities? God is calling an army. He's not calling a Kiwanis club. He's calling an army. Will you rise up for such a time as this and get out of your comfort zone and say, Pastor, what can I do to get involved? What is needed to be done around here? What can I do, what can I do to benefit the advancement of the kingdom? I not only want the benefits, I want the responsibilities. People that are cultural Christians, they think more about life on earth than they do eternity. 
Cultural Christians only turn to God when they are in trouble. They ignore any scriptures that affect their personal lifestyle. And cultural Christians, as I previously stated, are not very much different than the rest of the world. And that's why the rest of the world is not that impressed with religion these days. Because they don't see a big difference in Christians and everybody else, let's be honest. We don't want to be like that. God forbid that we become like that. There should be a distinct difference as the lights are going down in our society, as it is getting darker in our world, as we are seeing more immorality and gross perversion. I pray to God the church doesn't get dimmer, but the church gets brighter. The church gets more distinct. The church is seen more obviously. And the only way we can do that is if we are living biblically and not culturally. It's time to be who we say we are and live the way we claim to believe. What does a Christian look like that's more concerned with cultural living than biblical living? Culture says pornography is a victimless crime. Biblically, it's perverse and deadly. Culture says Hollywood is harmless. Biblically, it's a jagged edge cliff you better be careful of. Culture says a little bit of sin is expected. Biblically, sin is a rapid spreading cancer you better not play with. Culture says to hang on to grievances and grudges and let it fuel you. Biblically, you can't be forgiven unless you're willing to forgive somebody else. Culture says love who you want to love. Biblically, homosexuality is a sin. Culture mocks committed Christians. Biblically, lukewarm Christians make God want to vomit. We better make up in our mind right now who we're going to be. Are we going to commit completely and wholly and be who we are supposed to be? Are we going to play games like the rest of the world? Can I tell you our world deserves better? The sacrifice that was made on the cross deserves better. We got to determine right now. January the 7th of 2024, I'm selling out to God. I'm selling out and doing what's right. I'm going to strengthen my convictions, not relax them. I'm getting closer to God, not drifting further away. 2024 is the year we seek to please God, not culture. 2024 is the year we root out cultural carnality that may have seeped into our lifestyle and we become more authentically apostolic in every area of our life. Brothers and sisters, you've been placed in a time and for this purpose, God has placed this church in one of the fastest growing areas in the country. Do you realize that thousands of cars pass within 300 feet of our front door every week? For such a time as this. You're not here by accident. He's placed you here to bring about light to this community for such a time as this. There is a door of opportunity for this church who is willing to respond at this time. 
You listen to pastor when I tell you I believe this with everything that is within me and it has been confirmed countless times since God laid this on my heart. There is a harvest to be gathered for a church that is willing to live biblically and not culturally in 2024. If you're asking, what am I here for? 2024. What am I made for? 2024. For you to be here right now, at this exact moment, at this exact time. It wasn't an accident. God has brought you into this church at the exact moment, the perfect time. How many out there would say, Pastor, I'm one of those people, I just have bad luck. I don't ever win anything. There's drawings, there's all kinds of stuff. I'm never the guy that wins. It just seems like it's always somebody else. Well, all I can tell you is uh, your luck has changed today, but it ain't luck. Uh, it's divine appointment by God because you are here at the right moment, uh, at the right time, hearing the word of God for you. Stand with me. I've asked the choir to sing that song again they sung earlier in the service. Because I believe this with everything that's in my being. And as they begin to sing in just a moment, I'm going to open these altars up. And I want people who are making up in their mind right now, in this coming year, there's been things I've been withholding from God I'm not withholding anymore. There's been some things that I've been needing to commit to God and I'm doing that starting today. The smartest thing you could do, the wisest investment you could make would be in this moment for such a time as this to respond to God. Maybe this is the first time you've ever come to this church. Maybe you've only been here a couple of times. <laughs> if I was in your place right now, I would think you got to be kidding me right now. You mean God is, how did he even know I was going to be here? He knew. <laughs> and he's telling you right now, and you listen to this preacher when I tell you. You say, is he talking to me? I'm talking to you right now. I'm answering that question. I'm talking to you right now. God brought you to this church today on this Sunday to give you an opportunity to respond to him and for him to do something incredible in your life. It's up to you. We open the text up with if, meaning it's a decision you have to make. Did you know that if you were smart enough to invest $1,000 in Apple stock in 2000, that doesn't even seem like that long ago. 2000, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm that old. I get it, it's 24 years ago. But for me, the year 2000 doesn't seem like that long ago. If I would have invested $1,000 in the year 2000, I could go to the bank and cash that for $213,000 today. But Pastor Ogden, I didn't know the time. I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the foresight. I had nobody instructing me. Nobody came to me and said, you need to do this. 
I didn't understand the time. In July of 2023, how many can remember the first iPhone you got? I remember the first iPhone I got. In July of last year, a first generation iPhone sold for $190,000. If I had known in 2007 that this mint condition still in the box would be worth, I can't even believe it, I got to read it again, $190,000? Bro, to get a message to me, you'd have to send a pigeon. I ain't touching it. But I didn't know because I didn't understand the time. I didn't understand the significance. I didn't understand the importance of it. Now, pastor, I don't have a clue about the stock market. I leave that to people that are smarter than me. I'm not going to tell you what to invest in monetarily. But you listen to me, I know what the Holy Ghost told me. And in 2024, you better invest in this right here. And you better invest in this right here. You better invest in this altar right here. You better invest in the Holy Ghost. You better invest in prayer. You better invest in your relationship with God. Because honey, I'm telling you, there's coming a day when it's going to pay off. It's that time. It's that moment. It's that opportunity. Each of us need to grasp it because God is bringing about a revival in our homes, in our life, in our church. How will we respond to that? Sing it, choir. I open these altars up to people right now that say, I don't want to miss out on that opportunity. I don't want to look back and say, I should have, I should have done it. Should have invested. I should have sold out. I should have made it right with God. I should have kept going to church. I should have signed up for ministry. I should have repented. I should have made it right with God. Come on, this is your moment. Such a time as this. This is our moment, church. This is our opportunity. We're ready for it now. Throw your hands up, close your eyes, and commit to God right now. Holy Ghost, challenge somebody right now to step across that line. Encourage somebody right now, God, to make that commitment to you. I don't want you to stand in December of this year thinking, what if I had just committed to God? I don't want you to wait till the end of the year and think about this sermon that I'm preaching right now. Come on, church, let's don't get to December and wonder what could have happened. Let's see what will happen.
hope of the Holy Ghost. Let somebody seize this moment right now, God. We're standing at the door, church.